Blessed be the God of life and love. Amen. Render to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. And so today, with this gospel passage, begins our annual fund (laughs) to fund the mission and ministry of St. John's for 2015. And over the next several weeks, we will be asking members of the church to make a financial commitment to St. John's for the coming year. These financial commitments are how we support the work of the church, how we do all the work that we gather here to do, how we keep the lights on and do all the ministry and and make all this happen. And they are also spiritual acts of generosity. In the gospel today, the Herodians and the Pharisees Seek to trap Jesus. Here's how the trap works. Let's say everyone on this side of the church is a Herodian. And everyone on this side of the church is a Pharisee. I am not standing in the place of Jesus, even though I'm in the middle of all of you. Uh, Just that occurred to me as I was saying it. You're all Herodians, right? So... They ask, is it lawful to pay the tax? Well, you all Herodians are aligned with King Herod, who is the client king of Rome, the king of Judea. And by paying the tax, you're able to effectively purchase your freedom of religion. So you support paying the tax because it keeps Rome happy and you get to keep being Jewish and free and... That's good, even though you're under occupation. You Pharisees are opposed to paying the tax because what's on the coin? The image on the coin is an image of the emperor. Well, and whose title? The title of the emperor. Well, who's the emperor? Well, if your coin has a picture or an image of of Caesar on it, Caesar was appointed as being divine. So it was an image of God. And Augustus' title was son of God. So if you're a Pharisee, that coin is an idol because it shows an image of God. And you are consenting to the Roman God by paying that tax. So you don't believe in paying the tax because it's idol worship. Now, do you two agree on this issue? No. What's the one thing you agree on? Let's get Jesus. Because you both perceive Jesus as a threat. So the trap is that whichever way Jesus answers is the wrong answer for somebody, right? That's the trap. There's no right way to answer the question. 
right? Jesus is either in with the idolaters or he's complicit with Rome. There's no way to win. So Jesus flips the whole question. And we were trying at the nine o'clock talking about how, you know, how you could imagine, like, what kind of a character was Jesus that he would, like, do this thing and flip the whole situation. And we, the kids came up with Kung Fu Panda, So Jesus is sort of the kung fu panda who karate chop and switches the whole situation by basically not answering the question, but turning the question upside down. Well, whose image is it? It's the emperor's. And then Jesus says, render unto the emperor what is the emperor's, the coin, and unto God what is God's. Well, If the coin is the image of the emperor, then what is the image of God? Anybody, any guesses? Us, the people, right? Who's made in the image of God? We are made in the image of God. So Jesus is acknowledging the reality of living in a world in which We participate in government. We participate in civic life. We have to pay our taxes. We have to be involved in aspects of government. But what are we supposed to render to God? The things that are God's. And what is that image? That image is us. And so it's an invitation to serve God and give of ourselves to God first for the purpose of serving the kingdom of God in order to transform the powers of the world. The passage sets up this sort of dichotomy between the kingdom of God and the powers of the world as represented by Rome. And Jesus is saying our first priority is to serve God and give of ourselves to God. And that is what guides rendering to the emperor what is the emperor. And this informs our giving to the church and to other organizations. And this is what gives it not only a practical side of funding ministry, but also makes it a deeply spiritual issue. How we approach our giving. Because the invitation is to give to God first. Not out of what is left over. And that is the fundamental spirituality of stewardship and giving, that we give to God first, not out of what is left over after we've done all the stuff we want, that that becomes a priority in how we envision the use of our resources. How will I serve God? How will I give to my church and give to other organizations? How is that a priority in my life and set a pattern for my life and my family And when that's the first decision, it's very different than when, well, it looks like I have a little cash left over. I'll kick it your way. It's very different. 
When I was uh, an associate priest in Santa Barbara, Amy and I were trying to take this fairly seriously and think about, well, what would it really mean to do that, to put giving first, and to even try to increase our giving? And what would it mean to try to make some lifestyle choices that would allow us to give more and to make giving a priority and what I wanted maybe a little less? So I preached a sermon and I talked about how we had decided that in order to give money to make our giving to the church a priority, we'd made some changes. And we uh, were getting rid of our you know, top-tier cable package and going to a less expensive pack cable package so we could give more to the church. And that meant giving up a bunch of the sports stations that I really liked. And uh, I'd been saving up, thinking of getting a new surfboard, um, but I had a couple already, but I wanted one, uh, so I wasn't going to do that. Well, what do you know, a couple days later, I got a letter in the mail from a parishioner at St. John's, or uh, at All Saints, where I was, thanking me for that sermon and saying, because of what you said, I've decided uh, to increase my contribution to the church. However, it pains me that you will be going without cable sports. (laughs) So here's a check to cover that. And another parishioner said, you know, I've increased my giving. I went up like you asked us to. And here's a surfboard. And I have to say, you know, I was like, wow, that's incredibly generous. And my wife said... Why didn't you get up there and say, we've decided not to get that beautiful couch we really need? (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) And well, I absolutely, and if if anyone wants my list of uh, bike shopping parts, I'd be happy happy to tell you the bike I want to get, but... I actually felt a little defeated by that because the letter I wanted to get was the letter that said, and it was incredibly generous, wonderful people, and that's beautiful generosity. And they all increased their commitment. But the letter I really wanted was the one that said, here's the changes I've decided to make in my life to make giving more of a priority, whether to the church or to some organization that I feel Uh, is doing God's work in the world, and I'm going to make that a priority. And so it's this challenge of putting giving or God first and the things we want but don't need second. That is the spirituality of giving. So I invite you to consider your giving to St. John's and other organizations doing God's work, and especially to how your giving to St. John's touches your life and the lives of others. Because that's part of what it's about. How do we touch others' lives through our generosity? And think about some of the things that your financial support of this church makes possible. How it enables us to live into what's carved on our cornerstone to be a house of prayer for all people. Yesterday, we held a funeral for someone who'd been a member of St. John's for a very long time, but had been in 
a nursing facility for years and because of those circumstances had not been actively contributing financially to St. John's for some time. And generally, you know, for our practices, if you're a member of the church, which generally means you're giving financially, there's no fee for a funeral for use of the church building and the parish hall. Now that technical definition hadn't been met in this case, but this person had been a member of our community. And part of us being able to gather here today is because of the contribution she had made in the past. And so our contributions today make it possible to say, you know what, we're not going to charge, you're, you're part of this community, we're not charging those fees. It's not just based on the ledger, but on your history within this community. And we help make that possible for people by our generosity, returning the generosity of those who have gone before us. A few years ago, when a very popular English teacher committed suicide, that service was held here. And this church was packed full of high school students trying to make sense of that tragedy. We live in a community in Marin where Sunday morning and religion in general uh, and church can seem pretty irrelevant. But when the world breaks apart, we are one of the places that people turn to. And we were able to be that place where people could gather in the midst of confusion and anger and sorrow and grief and try to pray and work their way through that. We're able to be that place because of our support to make that community happen. Last Sunday, I wasn't here, but I heard an incredible announcement was made about the impact of the children's choir program on the life of the children in those, that program and how that influences that child throughout their whole life and what an incredible gift it is to that child. And tuition covers only a portion of the true cost of that program. It's our contributions, our pledges, our commitments to the church that really sustain and make that kind of meaning possible. And I firmly believe that the church is one of the only intentionally intergenerational communities left in our society. And I am so thankful for the church that my children grew up interacting with people of all ages. And that would not have happened to them if we were not part of a church community. And I think of our parish weekend away at the Bishop's Ranch when we gather Saturday night at the campfire and there's everything from toddlers to some of the oldest members of our community all sitting together around a campfire laughing and singing songs and making s'mores and our budget heavily subsidizes that and that makes that kind of community possible and it benefits all ages. It benefits everybody. Soon we will be preparing and serving meals to the homeless in Marin 
cooking meals in our kitchen and going and helping to serve those in our community who have nowhere to live in the cold, wet months of winter in Marin. Where does St. John's touch your life? How do you serve God through your connections here? Amy and I love this church. And every year, we try to make a meaningful commitment to support the work here. Now, I know as your rector, this probably might sound like I'm singing for my supper. (laughs) And maybe I am. But this is also our community. I I always joke, like, you know, those hair club for men commercials where the guy's like, I'm, you know, I'm not just the hair club for men president. I'm also a member. Well, that's kind of how I feel, right? I mean, I'm the rector, but I'm a member. This is our church. This is where we have raised our children. And when things have happened in our lives, this community has ministered to us. This is our community, and, and we love this place. And we want to support it and see it grow and flourish. Uh, and it's a place where we can wrestle with the spiritual decisions of how do we make decisions about our money. Because they're hard decisions. But the rewards are great. And I hope you'll join us in generosity. We are the children of God. When we make a significant commitment of ourselves, our time, and our talent, and our financial resources to the work of the church, we are rendering unto God what is God's our very selves. Amen.